welcome to episode 6 of the TCT podcast. This week we've got another talk from a true stalwart of the additive manufacturing industry and one of only a few reoccurring speakers in the TCT show conference calendar. It is of course Todd Grimm. Todd has held positions at some of the additive industry's biggest names and as well as being a fountain of 3D printing knowledge is currently the AM industry advisor with the additive manufacturing users group. In the following keynote talk, recorded live at TCT Show 2016, Todd presents justification in the age of false enlightenment, which addresses the fact that the so-called AM-led revolution is not as imminent as once thought, and disillusionment has started to kick in. The solution? To build a practical, defensible case for additive that under-promises and over-delivers. Here is Todd's talk in full. Listen and don't forget to click subscribe to hear a new talk on 3D technologies every week. Well, good morning, everyone. My premise is that we're in a challenging time right now. We're getting yes for an additive manufacturing machine may be overly complicated because what has happened in the recent past. The logical portion is back to business. The portion of my title, the direction that Jim gave me, was the lower portion. Wow, that is really blown out. Is the lower portion of the title, justification in an age of false enlightenment. Now, if you know me, you probably question why I would use an extreme term like that. I even was questioned last night by three people unsolicited. They're like, Todd, that title does not sound like you. Where'd that come from? Well, I agree to the false enlightenment because there are kernels of truth in that. My concern is that the message that had been put out there over the last couple of years is a bit too extreme. It's too extreme in the scope of what's going to happen. It's too extreme in the impact, the significance of the impact, and it's too extreme in the time frame. We're walking away, or led to believe, the false enlightenment that the revolution is here and now, disruptive forces are going to happen, our businesses are going to change in every way, shape, and form, and if you're not on board, your business is dead. That extremity is where I feel we have false enlightenment. Now my concern, so that's a picture, by the way, of a guru sitting in a cave giving enlightened information. The next picture, is of a bungee jumper. I'm going to have to describe all my images so you know what they're about. It's a bungee jumper because my premise here is that if we go to an extreme high and we don't meet that expectation, we come sweeping down to an extreme low, a backlash effect, much like a bungee, dropping down and then springing way back up. And I think that can affect our ability to get to yes if we're looking to justify the addition of first machine, second machine, or any number of machines in the additive manufacturing realm. Now, that backlash happens because we have over-promising and under-delivering. So if someone in the decision-making role, your CEO perhaps, who isn't close to additive manufacturing, isn't close to production and manufacturing as they used to be, as close as they used to be, may walk away with an emotional decision driven by the claims and then when they discover that we can't deliver to that promise, they have an equally emotional reaction, not founded in sound data and logic, but emotional reaction that says, uh-uh, I'm not going to believe it anymore. Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. So they dig in their heels, they've got this emotional response saying, I do not believe in additive manufacturing anymore. And that's what I want to talk to. I want to explain a little more on how we get to this backlash, but also a very practical, logical, sound approach 
to offer you some guidance in maybe helping you get to yes. Now, it's regrettable because we are truly in an age of innovation in additive manufacturing. It is amazing, it's inspiring, it's awesome. But we're out of sync on the time. When the hype started to build, a lot of people positioned this technology as already being in a heavily innovative phase. It wasn't. We saw a lot of incremental advancements. So now that the hype has passed and people are disbelieving, now we have our age of innovation, so we have an out-of-sync condition, and that's regrettable. Because we are seeing innovation. We saw it last year. We're seeing it here at the show this year. If you go to Form Next in Germany in November, you'll see it there. If you go to show after show, you will see it for the foreseeable future. Innovation in the size of the machines, the size of the parts that we can have. Innovation in the throughput. In innovation in the materials, like Skalmalloy. Innovation that opens our opportunities to do even more with the technology, to increase our applications. But the question is, based on the backlash effect, are we in a phase of disillusionment that may cause people not to hear the message? So the question is, are they truly hearing what's going on? Are they taking it, are they open-minded enough to, to listen to it? And do they take it to heart? I think that's the challenge that we have right now in getting to yes for the average company. I want to start by asking a question. How many people in the room, show of hands, work for a company that is driven by innovation and progress and beating the competition and getting out there where everything else is almost secondary, cost, and we'll figure out all that later, but show of hands, how many work for a company that just pushes it? We've got one, two, three, there's four, five, six. We've got several of them. I regret to tell you that this presentation is not for you. It's not for you today but I recommend that you listen to the message, take it to heart because things can change quickly. You may find a day comes soon where you are in the shoes of everyone else in this room. So take it to heart. What I'm gonna do is build a case on the backlash, then I'm also gonna lead you through the steps that I think are very practical to get to a yes. Now another question to get this started, to get this ball rolling, how many people have heard a story of someone who acquired an added manufacturing machine and has failed miserably with it. Show of hands. There we go. About a third of the audience and the other third who has heard of a story just didn't want to raise their hands. Well, that concerns me. That concerns me because we have the condition that the common knowledge is that for every, one good, for every good situation you tell one person, for every bad situation you tell nine or ten. So it builds on itself. So we have lots and lots of these instances, and then you tell two friends, who tell two friends, and that message sweeps through. Which, on the negative side, could further fuel this emotional reaction to the situation of under-delivering and over-promising, causing people to be sensitized to the bad news. I think we're gonna see more of those negative stories coming out. The reason for that, I stumbled on some research. Now, the picture on the lower right is a bright, sunshiny day, the picture on the left is a storm, stormy day, cloudy, to represent happy, positive, and sad or negative. I stumbled on some research with the concept of congruence. And what they found in their research is that when you have good times, good information is more freely shared, and people are willing to accept an extreme statement that's on the positive side when times are good. Does that sound anything like believing that a revolution is coming because times were good around added manufacturing? Everybody believes, so we all just bought in. We, I'm not saying we all bought in, but people bought in unquestioning. Well, we're also very reluctant to share those negative stories of a failed machine purchase. Now, in bad times, the opposite happens. 
more negative stories are shared and people are more open to receiving extremely bad information without questioning it or wondering if it's fact or if they should take it to heart. So here we have a situation where I think that we will start to hear more stories of failure as we progress because we are moving into this age where overly positive is not the thing that's working. When you get outside of the halls, when you get outside of the, the peer groups who know additive manufacturing and know what it's all about, don't groan if you can tell what that is. For those that have seen me on stage before, it's the Gartner hype cycle. That line goes up to a real sharp point, drops down, and then slowly transitions out. Humor me for those that have heard me discuss this before because I've got a new point I've never discussed from the stage that's appropriate today's day and age. Now, for those that don't know the hype cycle, the premise is that technology is born. At some point, there's a trigger, conversations start, and people start embellishing the story until you reach this peak. They call it the peak of overly stated expectations. Let's just say peak of expectations. But those expectations cannot be delivered on. So what happens when the world realizes that I was sold a bill of goods that cannot be delivered on, we come, we come crashing down to the trough of disillusionment. That's the bungee effect. And that can happen very quick. That can happen over a period of months, certainly within a year. And that might give you some sense of how can we go from these claims of revolution to disbelieving and doubting the technology and its power. I don't want to talk about those, though. We are in the trough of disillusionment right now. The revolution isn't coming in a big way across all industries and all applications and for every individual, and we're not going to have one. Everyone's not going to have one in their home. But what I want to talk about is the next phase, the slope of enlightenment. This is the other reason I was okay with Jim's title, because enlightenment is in this model. The slope of enlightenment is that sloped line just after the trough of disillusionment. What Gartner says is this is a period of time where things start to gel. They start to crystallize. We start to have a situation where cause and effect are established and benefits or gains are assumed. No longer need to justify every decision. You just make sure that it fits for your application. So it's building, if you will, a use case. These are the benefits. I trust those benefits will be there. I just need to evaluate if this is the best solution for that application. Gardner says that that's coming. Gardner says we need to do that, but we're not there yet. And the premise of this presentation is each of you as individuals to fight the backlash effect need to build your own justification in a very sound way to get to a yes for additive manufacturing. Happily, the vendors are getting on board. I'm going to call out 3D Systems and Stratasys on this, two biggest players in the industry. They're getting on board with this concept of we have to stop painting in broad brush strokes and big, big environments and hoping that people find the real benefit for their specific needs. 3D Systems is the most significant change. This is a company that was the main cheerleader of the hype and the revolution and the disruption. And then we're going to have one in our home, maybe one in your man cave and one in your living room. And we're going to have multiple 3D printers in the home. Just recently, they announced their new vision, their new strategy at IMTS, a trade show in the U.S. In that vision release, they discussed about refocusing on the technologies they have to improve them to make them even better solutions. They've talked about focusing on industrial applications for going consumer. But the thing that caught my attention, the thing that I, causes me to bring this to your attention, is they stated that we are now focusing on use cases. 
And the use case is simply a pre-identified scenario, problem, or opportunity with definable requirements and definable goals that they then marry your technology to or tune it or tweak it, so materials and machine, to satisfy the needs of that one application instead of being a generalist solution. And I love that because I believe we have to get to specific applications for specific technologies and segment. Stratasys also did the same thing. Recently, if you caught the news, they announced two technology demonstrators, the Infinite Builds and the Robotic Composites. I happened to be there on the announcement day for the media and for an analyst, and I really loved what I heard. One makes much bigger parts, the other one gets rid of support structure, expedites the process, and uses fiber-reinforced thermoplastics. But what really excited me most was the preamble by management, who opened up with a very clear statement that we can no longer operate in a way where we build something and hope that people find the application for it, hope they find the justification to use it, hope they find the benefit. We've got to start focusing on use cases. And they invited Boeing and Ford to the stage as partners, and they talked about very specifically the use case. For Boeing, it is simply attacking, making the interior skins for an aircraft. End of story, full stop. How can we do it better? How can we do it faster? How can we leverage the technology? That one thing. For Ford, it was about making very large fixtures for the production floor that are much lighter so you don't have to pull out a crane or a forklift just to get that fixture in place. And that's what I'm encouraging you to do. In this age of backlash, I'm encouraging you to get practical and sound and build the use case for your own business and your applications. So the process. This is going to be obvious, it's simple, it's not brain surgery. I just want to bring it to your attention, bring it to front of mind, so that maybe you can use some or all of this to get to success. The first step in the process that I recommend is to assess your current use of additive manufacturing if you own equipment. Assess it and look at it and say, are we using it to its full capacity, its full capability? Or is it sitting there running one, one day out of the week? One day out of every two weeks? Is it tarped because we just couldn't find a use for it? You cannot ignore that. If management and decision makers are predisposed to doubt the additive manufacturing message, if you leave that thing linger around, it's going to be a visual reminder day in and day out that something's wrong, something's not quite right. How do you address that? Find applications to get on that machine so you're using it 80, 90% of the time, full capacity utilization. If you can't make that happen, Send it to another department or division with your organization who can. Get it out of there and make it useful. And if none of those two work, sell the thing. If you can't sell it, get it out of the facility into a reclamation center. Just get it out because it is going to be a visual reminder of failure. And if management is predisposed to expect failure or, or under-delivering, over-promising, that will just lodge in the back of their head. Worst case, it lodges in the back of the head and no one ever verbalizes it, but it's there the whole time. Best case is if somebody actually states, hey, there's an issue, so you can address it. Second phase. Those are paint brushes with bright, bright, brilliant colors. Second point is to get specific. Don't go after it with broad brush strokes. Don't make it a solution for all product development. Don't make it a solution for all manufacturing engineering. Don't make it a solution for all production. Don't cast those broad brush strokes. Instead, fine points, a pencil point. Get down to specifics because when you have a specific 
situation, a specific opportunity, a specific challenge, now you can devise a solution and also make it defensible. The broader it is, the easier it is for somebody to stand out in the wings and say, yeah, but in this circumstance, it doesn't work. Yeah, but in this circumstance, it doesn't work. And you can wash out your solution. So I, I recommend that you drive it down. So in product development, it's not just saying prototypes or patterns. In manufacturing engineering, it's not just tools. In production, it's not just serial end-use parts for, for production. Instead, drive it down as specifically as you can down to a component type, down to a product type, down to a scenario that happens repeatedly. Identify it and focus on it and then build your use case on that scenario. That helps you make it defensible and it helps you make a very real story that can be appreciated. The next one, I'm gonna step into a little psychology here to get to my true point. Those are the drama masks of happy and sad. I'm gonna use them for pain and pleasure. Psychologists state that the human being at the highest level is motivated by one of two things. Gaining or moving towards pleasure, or avoiding or moving away from pain. I firmly believe that. And if everything is equal, the human being is more likely to move away from pain before they try to get to gain. Now everything equal is assuming that time frame and the scope of the impact are the same. If the time frame is not the same, we will opt for something that is immediate versus distant. And if the scope is, is really, really significantly different, you'll opt for the one with the bigger scope. Now, this pain and pleasure principle explains why we procrastinate. You're avoiding that immediate eh, issue of tackling that, that project that you have and ignoring the gain of getting the project complete because it's immediate. If I tackle it right now, I'm going to suffer but the gains may be a week, two weeks, a month, or a year out. So I believe that we'll be motivated by immediate, painful situations more than long-term, positive situations. And that's what I want you to use in the decision-making. And that decision-making means that I highly recommend that you focus on one thing, driving costs down. Don't focus on the gains of increased income, it's good stuff. Don't get me wrong. I'm saying this is how you get to yes in the easiest way. Focus on cost reduction. Focus on the expenditures for a number of reasons. The first one came to me when I was talking with an automotive manufacturer just about two months ago. We're talking about big lofty dreams and ideas, and they concluded the conversation, yeah, but it's going to fall on deaf ears because our company, we only make acquisitions right now. We only make purchases right now if it drives down cost. And that smacked me just like, Wow, and this is a company known for innovation, but cost is it. Cost is king, and I recommend that you focus on cost. Cost is a winner in most, cost reduction is a winner in most situations. Profit gain or other gains like that can be a winner, but not in as many, on a ratio, not as much as cost reduction. But it's a challenge, it's not easy. How do you associate, in a direct cause and effect way, cost reduction with added manufacturing? There's some things that are obvious, but there's others out there that get a little nebulous, a little intangible. You're going to have to work to find those. Probably the key one is time. Time is money, but how do you equate that in business terms to a cost reduction by reducing time? You're going to have to focus on that. The other challenge we have is that we're so different. You can fall into the trap allowing a cost model, a cost mentality, a justification mentality to be driven by traditional manufacturing tools. 
And since we are so different, we have different advantages and different limitations. And if we allow ourselves to fall in the trap of the current model, advantages may be ignored and limitations may be highlighted. So we've got to work very, very hard on that. The other challenge that we have is to get big significant gains, you've got to touch a lot of parts. And touching a lot of parts, one of my favorite applications is jigs and fixtures. A single additive manufacturing jig may touch 100,000, 200,000, a million parts, and if you save a second each, that gets into big numbers. I love that. Production is an issue because our cost savings erode rather quickly. The, the break-even point with uh, current state of the technology is so low that you start getting into 500, 1,000, 10,000 pieces, you might not have any cost reduction in making that part. So it's, it's a balancing effect and you need to find what works for your company and definitely make it tangible. The next thing is to tackle a current problem. That image there is an old, I think it's a Chevrolet with the wheels falling off. Someone took a corner too fast and broke the wheels. Tackle a current problem. Now my logic here is instead of creating a receptive environment to making change that isn't on the radar of management and decision makers, go after something that's already a pain point, an issue, something they're sensitized to. So you don't have to sell them on making the change. You merely show them that additive manufacturing is the best solution to improving the scenario. The other thing about this is if the issue is on the forefront or in the foremind of management, they've probably already monetized the financial impact of that situation. Maybe not sitting down and actually writing it down, but they've incorporated in their heart of hearts that there is a financial impact. You play off of that. For example, in the prototyping context, additive manufacturing has proved itself day in and day out as a tool that allows you to reduce, I shouldn't say tool there, as a method that allows you to reduce tooling rework. You're picking up all the problems before you ever get to cutting a mold. Right? We know that, but to justify it, may be problematic because you may have people saying, now yeah, we don't have that much rework. Or re rework, it's, it's spotty, it's nebulous, it's a forecast of the future, which you may have a hard time making a cost reduction uh, justification on that, unless it's a current issue. Just imagine an environment where management is like, rework is killing us, it's crushing us. We're losing this way, this way, and that way, and you walk up and say, oh, we can apply additive manufacturing to do more prototypes, which will reduce the rework, and they've already done the financial justification for you. Any of this making sense? Last points on the plan. Kind of warning signs is what that's supposed to represent. When you're building that justification, please, please, please don't offer false enlightenment, don't overpromise and underdeliver. It will crush you for the years to come. Highly recommend to go into it under-promising and over-delivering so you've set up your chance for success. Because the ramifications of doing the opposite will be very bad. Imagine a business decision maker who fell for the hype, is now in the trough of disillusionment, not believing, and you're able to convince them to go ahead and make one more investment. They make the investment and it fails miserably. It fails to meet the expectations you set. You're now going to backlash even lower and it's going to take even longer for them to recover. I've seen situations like that take five, 10 years before that decision maker's open-minded once again. So go into it uh, under-promising, over-delivering, and part of that, focusing on the cost, is to treat all those other positive advantages of additive manufacturing. Light weighting, uh, ability to change your part 
throughout the production cycle, all that stuff. Treat that as cream. We're going to reduce costs. We're going to attack this problem this way. And oh, by the way, it also is better and faster. But don't use it as part of the core justification. And then finally, reveal the limits. Be willing to talk about the limitations of additive manufacturing. Because this is my premise. If you go in and say this is a rosy picture, there are no flaws, it's a perfect solution, because of this mentality due to the backlash and the hype, if something sounds too good to be true, it probably is. And if you don't reveal the limitations of the technology, you may have someone doubting the solution because it can't be that good. There has to be an issue or two, a limitation or two to address. That's it. That's the process. It's one of being practical. It's one of being logical. I've shown a concrete path here, snow on the ground, brown grass versus a rainbow. My whole plan is about building that sound foundation, a concrete path that gets you from A to B instead of chasing rainbows at this point in time to give you a better opportunity to get to yes. Now, we're not completely without, well, I'll get to that. We're not completely without support. There's a lot of good evidence still coming out that can help you build your justification, change the emotional mindset of management, but you've got to use that information judiciously. A perfect example, GE. Everyone heard the news that they have the intent of acquiring two makers of metal additive manufacturing machines, SLM Solutions and Arcam. In the press release and in their announcement, they had a whole laundry list of positive advantages. Belief in the industry, it's going to grow, we're, we're staking our production on it, lots and lots of positives. You can use that as part of your evidence pool to change mindsets. The judicious part is to know the full story. Any story you read in a magazine, any case study that you read, you're not getting the whole story. And what you don't know could come back to bite you. In GE's case, what could come back to bite you is I really don't believe that they're moving towards gain and pleasure. I think they're moving away from pain. This is not from GE. This is from other aerospace manufacturers. One told me we could come up with one or two components for an aircraft. If we put them into production using added manufacturing, we would consume more machines than the companies are able to produce in a year. How am I going to commit my production to something that I don't even know if my supply chain is going to be able to keep up with me? So I think GE's motivation was to protect the supply chain on materials and machines because they've They've staked their company on doing additive manufacturing for some of these components. If that comes out tomorrow, and if you'd built your evidence on GE and them moving because they believe, that could pull the rug out from underneath your justification. So know the broader story. So to recap, to counter the backlash, a practical, logical approach, assess your current use of additive manufacturing, get very specific on the challenge that you're looking to attack, attack costs, and then attack a problem that is pre-existent, it's in the, it's top of mind with management. That is what I mean by getting back to business. We are a unique technology, but we are not immune to the normal flow of business, the normal decision making. We're not that unique. Keep that in mind. Leverage the way people and companies typically work. And I want to conclude with one last thing, because this comes across as negative. We've got an amazing technology with a bright, bright future. I want you to keep dreaming. That's a guru sitting up on a mountaintop looking over many, many mountaintops that are snow-capped. It's just a striking, beautiful image. I want you to keep dreaming. Dream big, 
shoot for the stars, but at the same time present a business case that's based in sound, logic, and practical, one that's defensible, and hopefully creates desire within management. Thank you very much.